Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast. This episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch Podcast to support us on Patreon. More on that later, but for now, let's get into it. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm joined by my two good friends and co-hosts. If this is coming out right after April Fool's, we should, like, change names. Oh, that's very funny. Okay, I like it. Like, All right, I'll start over. Okay. Who's who? Who's who? I- I'm not Matt. <laughs> oh, that's Got good. Him. Got him. <laughs> Brittany, do you want to switch? Sure. We'll switch yeah. now, and then we'll pluck each other's social media at the end. Yes. Can I Can I be CJ then? No, you're not Matt. Sorry. No. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm not Matt. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna start over. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination. I am Brittany, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. I'm CJ. And I'm not Matt. Oh, we just pranked you all so good, nature lovers. Uh, well, after that fun April Fool's Day prank, we've had some some good weeks. How have, how have y'all been doing this past week? Well, I've had a pretty good week so far. Spring break just ended, so that kind of sucks. But I am excited to kind of be in the sprint towards the end of the semester and getting some cool stuff that I get to do. At the last episode uh, that came out, I was talking about how I was going to Florida. I have just come back from Florida and have had the most amazing time it was perfect. It was amazing. And yeah, now I'm back in misery. So that tells you where I'm at now. Brittany, what kind of birds did you see? I saw a phoenix. <laughs> this is the same joke you made about an hour and a half ago. Please continue. Oh, and I You can't recycle content in the same day. <laughs> but it comes out in different weeks, so why not? It does come out like almost half a month apart. <laughs> this is true. But and I know. was I did the joke before I went to Florida, and now I have to I, I'm just circling back and coming full circle because now right. It's called a Florida. Matt, it's called a callback. It's called a callback. Yeah. It's a callback that never left your head in the first place, girl. <laughs> Spoiler spoilers uh for, for the nature lovers listening. Um, because Brittany is going out of town, we are recording these uh, in bulk. <laughs> we're, we're, we're banking them. So <laughs> Brittany hasn't gone to Florida yet. So me asking, what birds did you see? Is very funny. Hey, Patreon. <laughs> no, I need you to know this isn't Patreon. This isn't the regular episode. Ooh. Hey, episode. I'm not mad. And I'm CJ. And we have a good episode planned for today. We have some really awesome guests coming on the podcast. But before we get into that, let's jump into our first segment for the week. 
we're talking about our creature feature. So we're going to head up north a little bit with this creature feature to Michigan to talk about this uh, little bird called a jack pine warbler, or it is also known as the Kirtland's warbler. So these little uh, warblers are these little gray and yellow birds, and they are actually one of the rarest songbirds in North America, okay, because they are critically endangered, and they've actually spent nearly 50 years on the endangered species list. And so there is intensive conservation um, that are that is happening for these little birds. A fascinating fact about them is the fact that they do have those two different names. And I'm going to briefly touch on it, and, and then I'm going to kind of roll it on over to Matt, who's more of an expert. But their names, their original name was the Kirtland's Warbler. They got that name because they were named after this doctor who was kind of like a conservationist on the side. And his name was Jared P. Kirtland. And he was the father-in-law of Charles Pease, whose farm was where the first specimen was actually collected. Um, um, But they also go by the Jack Pines Warbler because for about a third of their life, they can be found in the Jack Pine Forest in, in Michigan for their mating season. And I'm gonna, this is where I'm gonna kinda lean on over and hit it off to Matt, cause he can talk a little bit more about it being the resident bird guy. Yeah, so first of all, I love that title. Thank you for that. Love resident bird guy. But, Everything you pretty much said um, is really applicable here. Currently still under the name Kirtland's Warbler, and our guests who we're going to talk to a little bit later today are actually going to really hit on this topic really importantly. This is like what they do and such, and I don't want to spoil anything for that, but I will say that there is a very large debate right now with the naming of, in particular, bird species, and this will probably extend towards other taxonomic groups as well it frankly already has but it's just most notably talked about within bird community just because i think bird community is so social media driven where others are not and so collectively it's such a really tight-knit unit but it's the concept of basically the the eponymous name it's a name that's named after some dude right Kirtland's Warbler, like Brittany said, was named after a guy named Kirtland. And there's a couple things that it doesn't really, it's starting to not sit well with a lot of people. And for one, that could be because these species are named after genuinely bad people, which I don't know much about Kirtland. I haven't done much research on him. There's a lot of birds, though, that are named after racists, after slave owners and such like that, to where it's like, it's not the most uh, inviting, welcoming thing. And it's something that needs to be taken down you know it's a structure that needs structural change well the other thing and the thing that i really like to focus a lot on too is that in no way shape or form does hearing the name kirtland's warbler 
incite any natural history about it. You know, when you look at like a lot of species in the world, their names make sense. The polar bear is a bear that lives in the polar regions. The black bear is a bear that's black. The grizzly bear is a bear that looks grizzled. Like all of these names make sense. And the Kirtland's warbler is a really rich charcoal gray on the back bird with this really lemony custardy kind of yellow underbelly that lives in this such specific biome when it's breeding and its name doesn't say anything about that and so it also really kind of bars access to learning about these birds and understanding the way they relate with their environments because you're missing out on so much um the naming doesn't aid in any descriptor about what it is now with birds this can get complicated when you have breeding versus and breeding versus all uh basic plumages so i don't want to get into that because it's frankly a very complicated topic that i'm very excited to talk about with our guests later on but basically currently you're looking at two different names because the goal is to merge it into one that tells the story of the bird and the bird's environment more so than already. Thank you both for sharing all those thoughts on the Kirtlands and a slash Jack Pine Warbler. Uh, like Matt said, we're going to have uh, representatives from Bird Industry Birds on in just a little bit. So we are going to get into that in extreme detail. But for now, let's move on to our next segment, which is current events. <music> Heck yeah. So today I'm actually coming to you live from www.gov.uk. That's right. I'm talking about <laughs> the government of the United Kingdom because the actual current event I want to talk about is one that completely slipped under the rug for me. But the UK has instituted a ivory trade ban, um, which frankly is something that seems like it deserved more press so if you're not aware ivory poaching in elephants is about the biggest driver towards their extinction that we can find ivory is very very high in monetary value it is the subject of a lot of illegal wildlife trafficking a lot of illegal poaching a lot of illegal hunting um all of that and that is driving african elephants especially in particular towards extinction especially the certain type of African elephant that people kind of referred to as a big tusker, um, which was just an elephant with these massive, massive tusks. You don't see those anymore. Elephants are actually trending towards smaller tusks now because evolutionarily humans have imposed a selective force upon tusk size. However, the UK up until you know, this spring, I mean, this literally was just instituted after three different or two different moments of postponing. So it was presented under in 2018 as the Ivory Act of 2018 um, and then kind of postponed for three years. It was supposed to come out. This law was supposed to be enacted in 2021 then on the third year anniversary of it being instituted originally. However, it took a, a couple months. It was delayed again. Um, because uh, technical difficulties with registering already owned ivory. But the UK, most people don't know, 
actually used to be one of the largest importers and exporters of ivory and they were kind of like a middleman in a way and so since then in order to call the calling of elephants the uk has instituted the ivory act of 2018 to where you're not allowed to buy sell or hire it you can't offer or arrange to buy sell or hire it you can't keep it for sale you can't export it you can't import it um, you can't make it possible for others to do so, even if you're not actually involved. The ban basically just completely halts almost all ivory activities unless you register it in a way that they allow you to. Offenses include breaching the ban, causing the ban to be breached, or facilitating breaches of the ban. And if you break this law, you're actually subjected to a maximum fine of 250,000 pounds or five years in prison. And so ivory dealing is really, really going to get cut down on. There's only five exemptions that they are allowing, um, and they're really strict and narrow criterion. And this is just a general good sign that CITES, the Convention on International Trade and Endangered Species, is generally making positive action right we're cracking down on wildlife trade including wildlife parts including sale of that and i'm poaching of all that and so this is a really really cool thing to hear and i'm very excited to see the potential change that comes from this ban on ivory trade yeah it's it's always a a serious topic when you, try, when you talk about you know poaching and you know my favorite animal is the african elephant so it, it's really important to me to hear all of this about the UK. So thank you for sharing that, Matt. That was a pretty big current event. Let's move on to our next segment, though, shall we? Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, this episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch podcast or visit our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com and click on that support tab. And visit our Patreon. There's a bunch of tiers of support that you can click on to show us your love and support. Now, part of our Patreon is getting to ask us a question of the day. So here we are back again with our question of the day segment. Um, and our question of the day, given that it is just past April Fool's Day, is uh, what is your uh, most memorable prank experience, whether you were the one being pranked or you pranked somebody else? So... High school, Brittany, and honestly, nowadays, Brittany, very gullible person. And so, and my mom, my lovely mother, um, I came home from high school one day and she had packed boxes in my room and told me and like packed up some other things and had told me that we were moving from our home to go live with this a, a boyfriend of hers at the time and that I she was pulling me out of school and then to that day was my last day and it was time to go and I being the stupid that I am believed her and sat and sobbed for hours until she was like I'm just kidding it's April Fool's idiot and it was traumatic but honestly, the best one she had ever done and actually pulled off. So, I am a very gullible person. I do not do pranks because I also am not very good at them. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so um, a couple of years back, I was on Mackinac Island, Michigan, and we'll go there for like a day or something like that and spend a day. Um, it's in the UP, and there's a lot of – it's a really bizarre mix of like it, – it's just got a lot of folk, like local folklore to it because the history of the place is so – highly tied back to a lot of different cultures that all kind of assimilated into this one region, whether it was the French or then the English or the, the, the usage of the native peoples who lived there at the time. It was a very spiritual place uh, for the natives in the area. It's got a lot of history and steep lore about it. And so I decided to go a walk on my own. Um, my parents and my brother wanted to go down by an uh, I think it was like the fort or something like that. And I wasn't really feeling that. So I just kind of wanted to walk and see the scenery and all that. Um, and I came across a cemetery. There's like, you know, there's a lot of cemeteries there. It's a very, like I said, very historical place. So a lot of those stones and markers are still there. Um, and I, so my dad has this cell phone ringtone that is like the it's the iphone like alien sounding one you know it's the the ooky spooky one right and it's something that's gone off in many an occasional meeting that's been very embarrassing but i wasn't with him at the time and so i gave my folks a call because i was ready to meet back up with them again i wanted to see what they were up to see if they may have wanted to grab some lunch and what i didn't know is that they'd actually been following me in the cemetery um and so when i called my dad all of a sudden in the middle of the cemetery I get this ooky spooky alien ghost music going on and like it freaked me the heck out. I'm like, what is happening? Only to then see him standing across the way cracking up. But they had essentially followed me in the hopes that they could spook me. And I accidentally allowed them to spook me by calling my dad and setting off a scary ringtone that just so happened to give the ambience of the graveyard even more of a spook to it. So I, I'm a, I'm I'm very similar to Brittany in a lot of ways, and one of those ways is that I'm not very good at pranks, but I love to pretend that I'm good at pranks. Um, so I'll just like mildly inconvenience someone by moving something three inches away, or. I'll do something for them when they said they were going to do it and I'll just be like pranked and it, it gets them every time. They're always truly shocked, but that is about my level of prank. And that is what I think is hilarious. So <laughs> that's what I'm uh, listing here as my favorite prank. Uh, if you have a favorite prank that you'd like to share with us, you can share it uh, on our Instagram and be posting some more cool stuff this week, hopefully, or you can subscribe to our Patreon. Again, this segment is brought to you by our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash the birdie bunch podcast for more. For now, though, let's move on to our main topic. We're now here with the co-founders of Bird Names for Birds. I want to just let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, everyone. I'm Jordan Rudder. My pronouns are she, her, and I helped co-found Bird Names for Birds. Hey, and I'm I'm Gabriel Foley. Uh, use he him pronouns, and uh, yeah, co-founder of Bird Names for Birds. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, just really really excited to have you here. We were talking a little bit before recording 
um, about just like supporting you guys. And we're really thankful to have you here. I know you mentioned that. So the Birdie Bunch podcast, being an official supporter of Bird Names for Birds just means the world to us. Thank you so much for publicly standing with us on this issue. Um, you all are awesome. And we're so grateful to have you in our community. Well, we're really grateful for you to coming on and talking with us. We're, we're very enthusiastic supporters of you guys. And so, but can you guys kind of tell us a little bit more about Birds Name for Birds and what it is and kind of that whole deal? Absolutely. So I just want to put a little plug right now. Um, shameless plug, our website where you can learn lots more is birdnamesforbirds.wordpress.com. And this is an initiative, a grassroots initiative to change bird names for the better. So what we're asking is that eponymous names, those human names on birds, you think of Wilson's Warbler, Clark's Nutcracker, we want to change the process of how those names have come to be, are decided, and then move forward with more descriptive names, hence bird names for birds. <laughs> so we started in 2020, and for the past two years almost, um, we have been advocating that this is something that has social justice components, it has accessibility components, and it just helps us talk about birds more and appreciate them for, for what amazing creatures they are. Um, because when you say Clark's Nutcracker, it doesn't really give you a very good indicator of what the bird is, right? You say that, and I've gotten questions about, are you talking about Christmas? Are you talking about different nuts? What's going on? Um, and we all know that's a super cool bird, right? But when you say a bird name such as blue jay or red-winged blackbird, um, no matter what your ability is, no matter where you are, you can immediately imagine what that bird um, appears like. You have other birds that are called gray catbird for their sounds, so you're telling something about these incredible creatures. And so that, again, helps highlight these birds and appreciate them, and we get to talk about them, which is the fun part. Um, but the thing about Clark's Nutcracker is Clark of Clark's Nutcracker, the person that that bird is named after, doesn't meet moral standards, especially of today. It has a really dark past and honors someone that probably shouldn't be uh, commemorated in that way, tied to a bird forever um, and honored in, in such a significant way, ultimately. Um, so that's where this initiative is really calling for, let's Let's review how we came to be where we are today. Let's all come together as a community, decide a new way, and then decide better names for the birds. I really love hearing you talk about this project because it's one that I've been following for a long time and following along with it. And there are a couple of people who I'd followed in various bird spheres because I love birds, love birding and all that. That has been my passion project. Um, and learning about the history behind a lot of these names has been really eye-opening, I would say, and really illuminates the contentious history that a lot of things have within society now. Um, and so it's beautiful hearing you talk about just the significance of this project and helps me skip a question that we had uh, outlined. But I also was wondering, too, um, what do you want people to know about bird names for birds? You know, how does it operate? What do you want people to think and know about your organization as you're doing the incredible work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, right now, AOS, the American Ornithology Society, who's uh, kind of the one that's like uh, more or less in charge of 
North American bird names and taxonomy. They are evaluating, you know, how they want to handle common name changes as we move ahead. So like uh, the petition phase of bird names for birds has, you know, at this point it's, it's successful. They're, you know, they're evaluating it. So we don't really need at the moment people to assign a petition or anything, but I think that one of the, one of the really great things about this project, certainly for us, has been the, the conversations that we've had about it and the, the discussions and the, the things that we had never, you know, talked about or thought about or considered before about how just, you know, names really are this, um, you know, Jordan likes to say after the birds themselves, bird names are the thing that, you know, we, we, we use most often, you know, if we're talking about a bird, which is the thing that we all love, then we're using its name. And uh, so, you know, these, these names, they do have significance. And, uh, you know, for me, at least, a lot of these eponymous names, you know, they were just the bird name um, until we kind of started thinking about this a little bit more, you know, if you had you know, Wilson's Warbler. Well, that was just Wilson's Warbler, you know. It wasn't, in my mind, Wilson's Warbler. Um, but after we've started thinking and talking about this more, like, you can't go back, you know. It's like, now we have seen, you know, Townsend's Warbler. Well, Townsend was kind of a crummy guy. And it's really hard to look at the bird the same way when you're when you're applying Townsend's name to it every single time you have to talk about it. It, it really taints the observation. And birds don't deserve that, right? I mean, grave robbers, racists, slave owners, murderers, and so much more. Like, we all have found, especially during the pandemic, birds to be this incredible gift, whether you're a lifelong birder like me or someone that's only, you know, looking out their window and seeing birds for the first time yesterday. Um, you know, they are this incredible family of animals that just deserve so much more. And there's a few other things that are really important right now is have those conversations, like Gabriel said, tell a friend, like not just have conversations with your um, with your friends, but go outside of your community, post on social media and help ex help with the exposure. And so on the website, on the Bird Names for Birds website, we have in progress all of these different historical bios of the folks that these birds are named after. And one of my lines is that a bird never gave me a history lesson. And so you took for granted Cooper's hawk. <laughs> Who is Cooper? Must have been pretty important to have a bird named after them, but like who who are they? And now we know. So we're definitely not part of cancel culture. If anything, we're definitely helping, you know, unearth all of these, these stories and such important history that we need, especially the more traditional stereotypical birding community needs to own and reckon with and help move forward so that we can be a more welcoming and inclusive community at large, um, especially because we say bird community, meaning ornithologists, birders, you know, Hollywood, the Umbrella Academy had that birder uh, character, like birds impact everyone every day. Um, so this is like the true magnitude um, and ripple effect of the issue. So 
that's where, you know, it might seem niche, it might seem nerdy or silly, or why are you wasting your time? But the fact is that racism and colonialism have put their tendrils so far in to impact bird names. Like that's, that's just mind boggling um, and shows also that like this one issue is the tip of the iceberg of how much work there is to do for the better for our community. So um, just to reiterate, like have conversations, don't let this fizzle out. Don't let, you know, even something that seems trivial, um, you know, go away because it actually is part of this huge long for the better journey that we're all on, hopefully. <laughs> and I say hopefully for the everyone, let's be honest. <laughs> I absolutely love this. I, I, I've never really thought about some of those things that you've been bringing up about like how I've just very, very recently as of this year have been getting into birding. Um, thanks to CJ and Matt. CJ actually was so lovely and she brought me bird feeders for my house. And so it's something that my husband and I now are very, like been very passionately watching and things, but it like thinking about their names and things like that. Like I know a blue jay and I know a red wing black where blackbird and I can visually picture them but like sometimes when Matt and CJ talk about birds I'm like oh, I don't know and like I can't picture them because their names aren't descriptive or whatever it is you're not talking about that bird and so hearing those the way that you guys spoke about it and it described it is very it's almost like a little eye-opening for me personally being so new into this birding community that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And the other thing, I guess if you have conversations or you feel really passionate, you know, you can share all of this as well. Um, and I, where I'm going with this is that Gabriel and I are not the only ones who are um, really leading. We co-founded the official like entity so that there's like a social media account so folks can follow. But having other perspectives and other voices is so valuable. And Brittany, what you shared is just as um, just just as valuable of an in influence and input as what we have to say. And you saying about the descriptive names, we are so lucky to have blog posts to reference from um, Michael Herbin, who is a legally blind birder, who has given the perspective that descriptive names are really helpful for accessibility reasons, right? He can, he can actually better understand birds, whether, again, what they look like, how they behave, what they sound. And isn't that amazing to have that inclusivity? We also have blog posts to reference from Steve Hampton, who is of the Cherokee Nation and actually used um, his family history and genealogy to trace back to the Trail of Tears he has family members that actually were um, interacting with Scott of Scott's Oriole. And Scott is one of the leaders of the Trail of Tears. Isn't that like heart-wrenching though to hear that we are overlooking and not listening as, as much as we should to indigenous people, but we're, we're saying Scott's Oriole collectively. You can go on eBird, I'm sure someone saw one today. And that's happening every day. So these are, 
again, part of these like conversations and other stories and that richness of birds and the bird community that just is so honestly powerful, um, so motivating. It makes you feel so proud to be part of this community and just, at least for me, want to do this work to help make us better. I think what is particularly mind-boggling about what you just said too, and that I think is something that perspective-wise gets lost a lot, is like we look at Cooper's hawk, Wilson's warbler, Kirtland's warbler, all these different birds as the names are history. And you think of it as it's this long past thing that, you know, it's, it's in the books. It's not, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, when you can open up a book and read about it and not witness it with your own eyes, I think that kind of desensitizes you to it a little bit, but like you describing with your blog post, there are people who still live every day who are tied to these names and who are very, not only that very intimately tied with them. And I think it, it, it bears a lot of credence to how important grappling with history and understanding, truly understanding history and like contextualizing it in like a modern day is really, really important. And that's why, like, I love the work that you do because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that I would not have known that, you know, it's something that you lose. And without telling these stories, most people probably never get it, you know, never get that eye opening this is much more pertinent than we think it is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that that's honestly exactly the same for us though. Like, um, you know, really this, a lot of this links back to Robert driver who, you know, was the, the author of the proposal for the, the McCown's long spur to be changed. Um, and without, without him writing that, I don't know that we would have, we would have thought to have written into the AOS when we did, which kind of really kickstarted this whole thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a whole community thing. I also want to highlight that you all have been so, so wonderful and kind to, to compliment us, but we're like coincidental here, coincidentally here, we're not geniuses. Um, this issue eponymous names is around the world birds around the world have eponymous names. And so it's not just um, North America, Canada, Panama issue, it's global. And the exciting thing to focus on the positive is other countries are making progress on this issue as well. So we're not alone in dealing with this. Um, currently, Australia is in the process of changing Major Mitchell's cockatoo to pink cockatoo. And <laughs> South Africa, ICCJ, yeah, it's amazing. It's like, this is, it just takes willpower. Like it makes such a huge impact that I think, especially non-bird people take for granted, but it, it matters. Um, and then in South Africa, they changed last year um, two derogatory names of um, indigenous people to more descriptive names. So they changed hot and tot teal and hot and tot button quail to blue build teal and fenbos button quail. And so it's, it's honestly like, okay, it's been two years of us talking. Let's go North America. Like, let's do this. And actually, um, the fact that there are 150 eponymous names, again, from Canada, Panama, like we could be leaders if we figured out how to do this huge group. However, we wouldn't be the first because in 
Sweden. <laughs> I, always get, I always get Sweden and Switzerland mixed up for this, but it's Sweden. In the early 2000s, they changed derogatory uh, bird names in that country. And so that's, again, a model that we could learn from and adapt if necessary. But again, it's, you know, we could help do even more, take, take it a step further. Um, I also have to give a shout out to the Entomological Society of America right now because they are amazing. They came out of nowhere and announced that they are going to stop using gypsy moth and gypsy ant. Gypsy is a very derogatory term. Don't use that word. Um, and the what makes this so incredible is one, again, it came out of nowhere. They just did. I don't know, maybe they were, maybe there's some, you know, insect bird connection there, trying to make a really bad pun or something about ecosystems. But anyway, they came out um, and they didn't even have a replacement name. They just made this incredible statement that said, it's not good to use. It's a value of us to be inclusive. So just use a scientific name until we figure it out. And then guess what? In a couple of months, <laughs> They have a new name. They have a descriptive name um, that had community input and truly tore down that table, that exclusive table. Um, they didn't bring people to the table. They just made an entirely new one. And again, I think that's both huge applause, but also, again, maybe there's something there that we could apply to 150 names. And then the next wave is going to be the less uh, clear cut uh, names. We've been focusing on eponymous names because they all have the same uh, way that they were, they came to be the way they were established and decided on and everything. They're all named after a person. But it would be a huge, um, huge piece missing to say that if we change these names for the better, that the story ends there. Because one, there's other bird names. There's flesh-footed uh, albatross, which sure. is a shearwater, flesh-footed shearwater, which is assuming that flesh is pink in color. Um, there's Eskimo curlew. There's lots of other ones that are problematic, <laughs> for lack of a, a better word. So we have to keep these conversations going, but we also then could could keep broadening out to the other issues in our community and ways to help, um, ways to make sure that you have all stakeholders as part of these conversations and processes. You uh, you saw all of us kind of like have a reaction when you mentioned the gypsy moth, uh, or now it's, I believe it's called the spongy moth, if that's correct. Spongy moth, yep. Um, and it's literally because one of our questions to ask you about to see if you had heard about this. Matt was very excited about it. Matt's a big moth nerd. So you bringing let, it up was very exciting for all of us. <laughs> let me say I am not just a moth nerd. That is the focal point of my research. I'm not just weird. However, <laughs> I was, yeah, that was something that I've been watching for the past year because I worked at a uh, forest preserve where they, they are very prevalent because it, if people aren't aware, which they probably aren't because we were going to do an episode on it, but literally chose not to because we were in the midst of what do you call it? And personally for us, I would rather, and I think we all agreed, we would rather wait. We are in audio format. So saying a species name over and over and over again gets to be particularly, ugh. but 
we decided to wait. And I think it was very, I was very happy to see that this happened. And I'm very happy that it's under your radar as well, because I think it's that perfect intersectionality between you realize that this is something that we have a focal point of birds, but it's so laden in just the way that we view colloquial names in general, you know, like, and there's also the question of a colloquial name. One place is not the same as another place. And it's so reminiscent of this whole naming discussion that I, I don't know. I was, uh, you took my question, but I'm very, <laughs> I, I'm very happy and okay with that because I think it's a really important topic to be talking about. I'm surprised you haven't been like, yeah, so sea moths are better than birds or some some like competitive edge there. <laughs> I don't know if Matt I don't know if Matt would go that far. Unfortunately, <laughs> the moths are an avenue to the birds, but I don't like to externalize <laughs> that. <laughs> I don't like to tell people that. That's my dirty little secret. <laughs> As we mentioned at the like the beginning of our interview, we talked about kind of the birdie bunch being a supporter of you guys, but you guys have a ton of really amazing supporters. On your website, I'm just looking at it right here. The American uh, Birding Association, American Bird Conservancy, Birdability, a bunch of local Audubon chapters, Feminist Bird Club, Ray Brown's Talking Birds, like such amazing organizations, podcasts from all over are supporting you guys. What does that mean to you? No, I'm just going to leave it like with that, that, that pause, that, that silence, yeah. because I am... I can't, I can't thank everyone enough. Um, yeah. You know, when, when Gabriel and I in May of 2020, after the incident in uh, Central Park that Christian Cooper experienced, you know, this, this was a moment where social justice issues, racism, uh, colonialism, all of these have been known. They've been experienced every day by people for not just decades, but hundreds of years. And so this was not a wake up call. And I, I honestly think that's that's misspeaking by anyone who says that in the bird community. Um, it was a rallying call to do better because it brought social justice issues to the forefront of our minds, of our community. It wasn't something new. It wasn't um, it was it was a tragic experience, but it wasn't something that had never happened before. And all of a sudden of. Uh, you know, people were were frozen and didn't know how to respond or, you know, how could this happen and, and things like that. So Gabriel and I took the phrase that the work starts at home to heart. Um, and as to white people, we knew that we had to have a lot to listen and learn and grow, but we also wanted to to act in in our community, in our home, the birding community. And so we thought this would be our chance to speak up, speak out. And we thought eponymous bird names could be something that we could do, both Gabriel and I, but also our community. Because yes, there are ramifications and details and blah, 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 but it ultimately just takes willpower. We're talking about the names of these birds that we talk about and appreciate and study and share every day. And so that's really where all of this began. And so I think that just really shows how this idea of us just trying, we never did it for publicity or, 
you know, we, we thought we would pass off this baton to the American Ornithological Society. And the fact that we have had so much support from our community, both individuals and organizations, including the Verde Bunch podcast, it's just astounding. I never could have predicted this. I am so much gratitude, just endless, endless gratitude that we, I don't, I don't want it to be directed at us either. I hope, I hope folks that are listening to this podcast or looking at that page, <clears throat> excuse me, know that ultimately those organizations, those official supporters are supporting our community. It's not, it's not the Jordan and Gabriel show. Um, it's, it's all of us. Um, and that I hope folks really take away. I hope, you know, I was a young birder that didn't have many, many birding friends growing up, especially in like the nineties. Um, I hope that if there is a young birder out there that feels alone, they know someone is there in the community that is advocating for them and with them. I hope that any non-white, non-cis-hetero birder out there knows that they are, they are represented and, and not forgotten. Um, and so I just, I hope that's really, I know that sometimes it's hard to come across, but that's genuinely why I am so overwhelmed with just thanks to everyone. And um, hopefully we'll get more supporters because of that representation and, and public support. And so just thank you in advance as well. I for me, I, I think it's exciting, um, really, to to see, um, you know, especially some like like pretty major players in the birding community, you know, um, stepped up fairly quickly and said like, yes, we, you know, we we want to support this, um, and you know, it's no real secret that the birding community's demographic is pretty much like the same thing. There's not a whole lot of variety there. And the reasons for that, you know, there, there's lots of them, um, but we can definitely do a better job at being more inclusive. And this is one really small way, um, but it is one way that we can be more inclusive. So it's exciting to me to see folks stepping up and saying, yeah, let's take this step. Let's be more inclusive. I absolutely just love everything that you guys have been talking about and it's just personally for me even more inspiring just because like hearing people talk about things that they're passionate passionate about makes me really want to be passionate about them um but as we're wrapping up um we just have like a couple of minutes left um i have to know what your favorite birds are we're talking all about all of these amazing birds and you know their names but what are your favorite birds i mean for me i Gosh, picking a favorite bird. I mean, you you got to know this. It's so hard. How do you do it? But I will say, for me, super easy to pick a favorite bird group. I love shorebirds. Shorebirds rock. They are they're where it's at for me. I love shorebirds. I really don't like this question. And I bet Matt, as a moth person, you have to not like the question even more because there's even more moths. Um, but I I will share that lilac breasted roller is an African bird and holds a special place in my heart from a really wonderful trip that Gabriel and I got to take. But a lot of birds have these like memory or people connotations for me. Um, 
and not an eponymous way. <laughs> um, and so for me, I just, I love, you know, especially, I know this is probably a silly reference, but um, especially the, the white-breasted nuthatch for birdability makes me think of Freya McGregor. And that's just, the, that's the connotation now. And I love We that. love Freya so much here. So make me, yeah. I love hearing her name. Like, so thank um, you. Bring her up. <laughs> but like that, that connotation, that, that is what I have now. And I love that aspect. And, um, you know, I could keep going, but, but those are what make me love birds so much, right? Because it's that sharing aspect. It, yeah, birds are amazing. And you can have these incredible experiences just yourself with birds. But ultimately, it's that sharing aspect. And I think that's just re-emphasizing why these names are so important, because that's how we share them. Um, and so I just, I, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop rambling. <laughs> And I love talking about birds. <laughs> we, we're also ramblers here. So if you want to keep rambling, we're not going to stop you. <laughs> um, but that does about wrap us up here uh, with uh, our, our interview. Um, final question, where can people find you? Where can they support you? What can they do? Thank you. Yes. So birdnamesforbirds.wordpress.com. You also can just Google bird names for birds and we show up now. Thanks to all of the support of the community. Um, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bird Names for Birds, but it's Bird Names for the number birds. Too, it was too long, too many characters, if you spell out F-O-R. Um, but just Google us and please follow along. We've been a little unactive with our social media accounts right now, just as we figure out what those next steps are. Um, but please, you know, have those conversations, share posts, um, you know, reach out if you have a blog post that you want amplified. That's one way that we're using our social media right now is amplifying other people's perspectives and contributions to this conversation. So that's, oh, and ideas, you know, unsolicited feedback. I don't necessarily need to take it, but if you have this incredible idea, <laughs> you know, just know that there are other people that want to help with that. Um, one point that I did just want to make, if that's okay, is, you know, we have gotten some pushback on this issue. It is, it is a more controversial one. Um, and part of that pushback is because of nomenclatural stability. We don't want to change the names because we won't know what you're talking about. And there's, that's a can of worms that I won't touch because I'm trying to fit something in the conversation here. But to end on a positive and a very birdie note, Bachman sparrow, um, you know, uh, all of these other sparrows that have eponymous names are LBJs, little brown jobs. They're sparrows to the non-bird community. They need conservation help, <laughs> right? And it is a PR dream, a public relations you know, pie in the sky situation for us to have a, a time where we need to do this huge public educational campaign of helping the community learn the new names for these birds and then say, so this bird's super cool, right? Now let's go help it. Let's go make sure that you know how you can go and observe it and help the habitat and do all of our part um, because they're not getting that right now. And when you say Bachman Sparrow, it's not quite the incredible hook to a story or project that that bird so deserves so 
with that, I, I promise I will help Barack move now. <laughs> so just again, it's birdnamesforbirds.wordpress.com. Make sure you go to the website, check it out. There's lots of really amazing resources on there. And uh, with all of that, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I guess this wraps, wraps it up. Thank you, CJ. This you all are amazing. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jordan and Gabriel for being on the Birdie Winch podcast, representing Bird Names for Birds. What an important cause. What an awesome reason to uh, get excited about conservation and birding and everything that. So thank you so much for that wonderful conversation. And uh, let's wrap up the episode. Yeah. Where can y'all be found on the social meds? You can find me on Instagram at Matt Valga, M-A-T-T-V is in Victor A-L-I-G-A. I will see y'all there. You can find me at cg.greco, that's c-j.g-r-e-c-o. Wow, that's that's really, really cool. And you can find me at the Brittany Bunch, that's T-H-E-B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B-U-N-C-H. And you can find all of us collectively at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. Um, there you'll find some really awesome stuff, uh, you know, given that the world has calmed down a little bit, hopefully, including cut clips, teasers, photography, as well as just what we're up to and things that we recommend. So keep an eye out for that. You can also visit our website, thebirdingwinchpodcast.com, for links and resources from this episode, as well as you can listen there, and you can visit our merch store. Uh, we have some really awesome merch coming up soon, as well as our Patreon. I keep mentioning our Patreon because that is the best way to support us. Uh, if you can support us financially, please do so. Visit our, our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch podcast. If you can't support us financially, which is totally understandable, you can do two things that are really, really huge for supporting the Birdie Bunch podcast. The number one is leaving us a review. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it out here on the podcast. We know that we have a bunch of listeners on Apple Podcasts, so please make sure to give us a review. And the second thing you can do to support us for free is simply just sharing us with a friend. If you thought our conversation today with Jordan and Gabriel was incredible, please make sure that you share this conversation with a friend talking all about bird name for birds. That wraps us up this week on the Birdie Lunch Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.